just go take no see that no not that piece yeah this piece so there's multiple and then what throw these off the cliff no no no, no. we'll, we'll keep them, them in a drawer in the hall <laughs> for later <laughs> that's, that's a, <laughs> that, he would have quit right then he would have been like right. this is a bullshit operation no 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 disable the motorcycle they don't want the boys Welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book. I'm Charles Wefso. Each episode, I'm going to sit down with writers, actors, and comedians to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. We'll kick back with a signature cocktail, solve a few mysteries, and swim around with pretzels in our pockets. This episode's drink was created by Ben Carrington at Retrograde, a hidden bar inside an ice cream shop in Denver's uptown neighborhood. Today's drink is a tiki masterpiece, and it's packing an explosion of flavors like a grenade in a boat race. This is the Hardy Boys Drink Book number two, the House on the Cliff. Hey everyone, welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. My name is Charles Wefso and I am here with Adrian Bishop. Adrian is a producer, stand-up comedian, director, animator, private detective, father. What else, Adrian? Yes, uh, chef, world-renowned chef. World-renowned chef. Uh, traveler. All right. Of places. Of places. Not very far, unfortunately. <laughs> But yes. Roaming the local rooms. <laughs> Adrian is hi, here. Charles. Yeah, hi, Adrian. Thank you for joining me today. We have an important book to talk about. Yes. The book is the second book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series, and it is called The House on the Cliff. A little introduction to the series. The Hardy Boys Mysteries were written by Franklin W. Dixon, who is better known as the inventor of arts and crafts. The first book in the series was published in 1927. More stories came out consistently until the 1950s. In 1959, the books were heavily rewritten, mostly to make them less racist. And when the 1950s thinks that you're racist, you have serious problems. So we're going to read the rewritten versions of the books because they're shorter and they're more easily available. And even though they don't constantly mention the fact that their friend Phil Cohen is a Jew, they're still pretty funny. funny I had no idea. It's amazing. That's honestly one of the best culturally insensitive things about the first editions of the book is that they have a friend who's Jewish, Phil Cohen, which wouldn't be a big deal, except they mention it every time. They do mention it in this book. They mention it once. But not just once. Not every time you meet Phil. That's They're awesome. like their Jewish friend, <laughs> Phil Cohen. <laughs> what? Oh, I know. That's amazing. One of the other ones that made it into this book is Lithe as Indians, the boys crept across yes. the lawn. But that's a compliment. I yeah, mean, exactly. That's not racist. <laughs> no, not if it's a positive trait. <laughs> first of all, Fenton, th- can we just read the first yeah, sentence of the book? Yeah, I think it's great. It's a great, it's a great way to open. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want me to read it? Yeah, you can read it. So, you boys want to help me on another case? Fenton Hardy, internationally known detective, smiled at his teenage sons. Okay, that's such a great sentence. I know. He smiled a sentence at them. <laughs> and and it ne- right off the bat, I have a question about Fenton Hardy. Sure. And that is, what is an internationally known detective? Mike and I talked about that last time a little bit. And I, was gonna, I asked him if he could name a single... Real world detective. Yeah, what's a detective? How does he make his money? He seems to be, he seems to cooperate with the police. So he's like a consultant? He's not a private detective. He's no. not being hired by anyone. Who, he who, just has cases. He just, he, just takes, he just takes on cases. No, Fenton, I have a lot of questions about Fenton in this yeah. book. And it does start with him immediately sending them, yeah, to look for smugglers. Sends his teenage sons to look for smugglers. And then they find them right at the time he told them to go. Right away. Them. I'll buy that. Yeah. Of the many things I had to buy while reading this book, that one's not too bad. So what was your overall experience reading this book? You said it's been a long time since you've read a Hardy Boys book? Yeah. Well, yeah. I read this book, I think, in 1978 or 9, when I was 8 or 9 years old. So that's that's a good 
I don't know what that is, like 30-something years. And it holds up. I mean, the adventure really holds up. It sucked me in, I got to say. I got into it. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't think I would. But I love the... I I ended up loving the Hardys. Oh, yeah. You You have to. I mean, what a family. Mrs. Hardy. And now what's her name? Now I feel bad. It isn't... I think her name is Laura. She's so great. I mean, she's there cooking meals. Always cooking big meals. Fenton, her husband Fenton, often... You know, goes out on a case and doesn't show up for days. And she doesn't have a problem with that. She just calls the boys and is like, hey, boys, your dad's missing again. I mean, that's fantastic. She gets worried in this one. I felt like she did have a bit of, you know, self-actualization at some point in this book. At the end of the book, she calls some other people and asks for help. Well, there you go. That's that's action. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She She, takes action. (laughs) She asked other people for help. So... Yeah, I was going to ask, what is the mystery of this book? Because it's supposed to be a mystery. And basically, they get told to find these smugglers. They go out and look for them. Oh, actually, that's... Because the smugglers are smuggling drugs. Just valuable drugs. But they are valuable drugs. From India. Not illegal drugs. No, valuable drugs. Valuable drugs. That Fenton Hardy wants, for some reason. How, how did Fenton Hardy get, his, get onto this case? How did that happen? Okay, so they go out... Fenton says, go to this cliff, look out with my telescope, and look for smugglers. They get out there. They point the telescope. On motorcycles. On motorcycles. First of all, that I remember when I was a kid. That they rode motorcycles everywhere. That's awesome. Super cool. But then they have their- And these are real 50s teenagers. They can ride motorcycles by themselves wherever they want. Yeah. And they can jump off and fix those motorcycles. Right. And they have tools in their pockets at all times. I mean, that's awesome. It's also very lucky that they always have their tools on them. Sure, because people are always sabotaging their... Their motorcycle. Their motorcycle. They go out to this cliff, they look, they see the smugglers. The place on the cliff is right next to this super old house that's on the top of the cliff. It's the house on the cliff in the title. Right, you can see it right on the picture. They hear a scream inside the house and they run inside. They immediately like kick in the front door to this abandoned house and run inside. They're the, these teenagers throughout the whole book, I support gun control, but I think that these teenagers need guns. <laughs> they need handguns. I mean, their dad, so many situations. That, that's what I'm th- saying about that first sentence. Their dad right away sends them out. Does he not think these de- de- smugglers are dangerous? Immediately after this, they get locked in the house. They get out of the house. Oh, and when they get out of the house, this is another thing that makes me think that Fenton is in on this. They get out of the house, and the telescope is still there, but parts of it are missing. And the motorcycles are still there. You've got to know about telescope. Like, if like you, to I, know what part if to If I'm take. a smuggler... This whole this whole opening ruse is really weird, over the top, and weird. Yeah, you, you, he fakes a, he fakes a cry for help, yeah. and he fakes other sounds. Then he steals particular parts of a telescope, and then particular parts of a, of motorcycle. a motorcycle. This guy's a master, but they're all sitting on top of a cliff. He could have easily just shoved all these things <laughs> off of the cliff. Many times throughout this book, the smugglers do things like there's a much simpler way to go about their oh, jobs yeah. that would make them so much easier. We've met Chet in the previous book, and Chet Morton is a food-loving boy. He's a fat kid. He's a fat kid yeah. and a coward, and those are his two... Some, some phrases actually used in this book by Chet Morton. Yeah. la la let's get out of here, <laughs> and ma maybe it's haunted. Yeah, he... Well, actually, it's interesting. He's... I just, I'm just now realizing what he, he is the model for uh, Shaggy from... You're right. But I, I like their friend Slim... So Slim makes this, or no, wait, is it Slim? Oh, Biff. Yeah, it is. It is Biff. Biff. Biff's a, I, I, I think of Biff as kind of a bruiser. Like, Yeah, he's tall and lanky, but the thing I really like is Biff makes this comment about, I have not had this much excitement in six months. 
And it's very clear that Biff lost his virginity six months ago and has just been like using every opportunity to bring it up. It's like, man, I haven't heard noises like that. Since you know when. Since you know when. And then we find out that he does need to get home for a date. But I love this. They find out he needs to get home for a date. He's like, can we get home? And then immediately they're like, hey, look, a boat race. Let's watch it. And Biff's like, oh, uh, okay. And then one of the boats, they're watching this boat race. And somebody throws a hand grenade. Which, yeah. Raises the stakes through the roof. All of a sudden you're like, oh, they got locked in a house. Then they drop off again. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, no, they, they see the, the grenade explode. The guy survives it. And the boys mount a very good and daring and like immediate rescue yeah. of a man who, I'm sorry, he's had his internal organs like liquefied by that grenade. Well, it was right I, next to I, I guess I made up that he jumped out, out of the, the boat, boat before it exploded. Oh, maybe he did. They said there was a sheet of that's, flame. Yeah. That must have been That's what how happened. I justified it. One of my favorite lines. And what grenades make a sheet of flame? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the boat was a sheet of flame? Yeah. Right, one of my favorite lines in the entire book. They couldn't have been the Coast Guard, even if they were in disguise. The Coast Guard doesn't use grenades. I love that. The idea of the Coast Guard being like, sir, your boat is unlicensed. Come here, or we'll throw a grenade at you. Can I, get, can I back up? Because yeah. I have a favorite line. Too. Okay. It's, not a, it's more of a sequence that I just think is fascinating. And it's back when the boys are on the cliff and they're setting up their telescope. Yeah. <clears throat> this takes about... Oh, my God. A page. For a book that moves so fast and, bre- and breezes over so much. Yeah. Then he unfastens the locks, lifts the telescope and the attached tripod, pulling the IN section first. It, can, it goes on and on. Joe turned three legs down and pulled out the extensions to the desired height. Then Frank secured the tripod legs with a chain to keep them from spreading. It's all of a sudden a... You know, like a, teaching us how to use, how a, to telescope. use a telescope. But... I, I don't know how to... F- I couldn't follow most of it. It was just... After a while, it was just moving pieces of machinery Well, around. that's maybe because you didn't tighten the wing nuts on the tripod. Oh. Lightly. That's another... Uh, you got to follow all these instructions. And then, like, the, he mocks the other boys that are there for not knowing how it works. They, like, look through it, and he's like, ha-ha, you're not going to see anything like that. And then Joe said, pick, picks a piece out, the balance weight. This will keep the whole thing from being top-heavy, he pointed out. So I guess they're so he's teaching the other boys why but why does the narrator of the story need to teach us how to use it how to use it There's a lot of things like that like at one point they get tied up and it tries to teach us that you can like stretch like stretch out your shoulders and your arms and but like and that, any That brings me to who's who is Franklin Dixon? Have you looked into this? Oh one? yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting character. We'll do a whole episode oh, on the history of uh, of Franklin Dixon. Oh, that's interesting. Because he clearly knows a lot of interesting things, like yeah. how to escape from how to, being tied up. How to assemble a telescope. Oh, when they okay, so they rescue this guy. They take him to this farmer. It's the dumbest couple of farmers ever. They, a guy is like has been in an explosion and nearly drowned, and they're like, "Let's leave him here. We'll call the hospital." Sure. Farmer's like, "No, he's fine. We'll, we'll just we'll give him soup. We'll give him soup, broth, and toast, which sounds gross." And then they get invited to dinner, and I'm sure Biff is like, uh, "I told you guys, I have a date." There's no way for me to call and tell her, can we please go home? And Chet's like, yeah, sure, we'll stay for dinner. Yeah, that's... But, oh, but the dinners. Oh, that's what I meant. I meant to write this down. The food. Great food in this book. Yeah, and always dessert. Yeah. Even when he brings a, a, a picnic, he's got a slice of pie for oh, each yeah. of them. Okay. That's excellent. I actually wondered about that when I read... Because this is the second time this has happened in the series, and this is only the second book. Were you ever, like, out with your friends outside like running around the woods and then one of your friends is like 
hey guys, surprise, and pulls out like a full picnic basket full of lunch for everybody. Slices Lemon sodas. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Cold cuts. Yeah. And Uh, you're like, where were you hiding that? Right. (laughs) This whole time that nobody noticed you brought a whole picnic. It's the slices of pie that I really don't get. Because they'll get all smushed up. How did you keep those slices of pie? Oh, I got a pie rack. (laughs) He's got a little, he's got a thing for... That's I gotta get one of those. Yeah, that actually sounds kind of nice. <laughs> but yeah, I always love their version of a picnic. Which our version of picnics when we were kids was like warm ham and cheese sandwiches with mayo and white bread with like yeah that were all smeary and in plastic butter. bags, peanut, peanut butter. butter on everything. Yeah, hot smelly peanut butter. Yeah, I do love picnics though, and pie and pie. I mean, yeah. I no, it, it it sounded fantastic. That's one of the only thing that gets serious description in this book is foods. <laughs> But aside from all that silliness, I found myself getting sucked into the plot. I, I, I was interested in where it was going. I loved, I loved the scenery of it. Maybe it's this, this great drawing. The, the covers of the book really do set it. I, I thought there was one good description of the, of the old house. At the entrance to a driveway thickly lined with trees and bushes was a stone pillar into which the name Pullet had been chiseled. Frank and Joe turned into the driveway. The only part of the house they could see was the top of the roof. Finally, long beyond... A lawn grown, overgrown with weeds, they came upon a tall, rambling building. It stood like a beacon high above the water. Pounding surf could be heard far below. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, totally. You got me. Totally. And then and somebody you, pretends to be a ghost. Yes, that, which is, that was a little weird, but <laughs> the great thing is you know right away that there is a secret passageway going down to the ocean. To the, yeah. And from, it's so satisfying when you find that it's true. Yeah, because if it hadn't been true, it would have been hugely disappointing. When they finally find the secret smuggler's passageway, and they like find a secret cove, and then they find a secret door, and then they find a secret passageway, and it dead ends in this big room, and then they find a secret passageway, and then they find a secret passageway. At by the time that Frank is like, looks like a dead end, Joe. You want Joe to slap him and be like, why would this be the dead end? Who would build all these to go to, to just to not go, to go to the house? A fifth dead end. Let's see. Yeah. So they go home and their dad's not surprised or upset in any way because he clearly is involved. Oh, I didn't get that. I'm glad you're telling me. I think he must be involved. I think that he was the, I think that he is the person that took, knew exactly what pieces of the telescope to take and how to disable his boys' bikes without, I think. Without stranding them entirely. I think that there's a good chance that Fenton Hardy was a former police detective who is now a ma- running a massive criminal enterprise in Bayport. And is so bored that he is helping his boys both, like, take down his competition and also take maybe it's like an adrenaline thing. See if he's going to get. Taking down the competition. I like that angle. So, yeah. And there's, I'm sure there's plenty more evidence. That explains that. The, the days away from home with no yeah, explanation. With no explanation. They go back to check on this guy who they rescued. And the farmer, he's been kidnapped. And the farmers are tied up. Or the farmer and his wife are tied up. And they deserve it. Because... This, these people showed up at their house in the middle of the night and were like, hey, did you find a guy earlier? And they're like, sure did. Come on in. Right. And then he's like, he's our brother. We're going to take him. He's like, that's when I got suspicious because they didn't look like brothers. <laughs> and you're like, you got suspicious? That's when you got... And then they tie him up. I don't understand why the smugglers don't kill the farmer and his wife. They, no, they, yeah, they're very hesitant to kill, which I think is, is, is nice. They threw a grenade at a guy, and no, then I all know. of a sudden they're like, no, we don't kill. That was more of an action move. But if the boy, I guess. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he was going to jump out of that. Boat. Yeah, and if he hadn't, they would have been like, guys, I think we killed that guy. 
That's terrible. We don't get into the rough stuff, boss. They say that. They say that a couple of times. Yeah, we don't get that. into the rough stuff. But really, if the boys would have showed up and just, they would have been a dead farmer and his wife, I think that might have been the end of the mystery. Stakes raised, though. Well, stakes raised, definitely. But like those people wouldn't have been able to give them the clue, yeah. the next clue. Oh, right. Bill got kidnapped. Like the next day, Fenton disappears. They go into the house looking for dad. I think they're in the house. What do you think about this? The boys made a systematic search of the place. They found only one item which might prove to be helpful. It was a torn piece of a Turkish towel on which the word polo appeared. This could have come from some country club where they play polo, Frank figured. Or some stable where polo ponies are kept, Joe suggested. They're both wrong. (laughs) They're both wrong. (laughs) Very plausible. It's from a boat. Actually, they... Yeah, so they go to this old farmhouse because Pretzel Pete. We haven't talked about Pretzel Pete. Oh, I love Pretzel Pete. They go down to the wharf because there's this guy who works in the dockyards and a sells pretzels. Pretzel uh, I, I could read a description yeah, of the weirdo be better. if He's you great. want. He's great. Does he appear in the other books? Because he seems. Oh he, no, I don't think he ever appears again. But uh, you know, according to to the description, he's a he's an old and reliable informant of Fenton's. Yeah, he must. I don't think he shows up again. It, there's a character named Hobo Johnny in the last one who appears for like 30 seconds and then he's gone. Huh. And it wasn't until later that I think that that might have been Fenton in disguise. And now I kind of wonder about, wonder about pretzel, Pete. pretzel Pete. So this is the description of Pretzel Pete. Strolling toward them and hawking the product he had for sale came a comically looking individual. He wore a white cotton suit with a very loose fitting coat. Around his neck was a vivid red silk handkerchief embroidered with anchors. The vendor's trousers had been narrowed at the cuff with bicycle clips to keep them from trailing on the ground. Smart. With the result that there was a continuous series of wrinkles from the edge of his coat to his ankles. He wore a white hat which came down to his ears. On the wide brown band, the name Pretzel Pete was embroidered in white letters. Boy, that's some gear, Frank murmured. Frank murmurs a lot. Yeah. Throughout the whole book, he's constantly murmuring to himself. I I, I gave him a pass on that because at this point, I'm... I'm I'm hungry for pretzels, you know. And again, they get me with the food. And they get they, they get a dozen. Pretzels. They get a dozen pretzels and, and shove big. them in their pocket. <laughs> big, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Soft vendor pretzels that they've just shoved into their pockets. Um, which is great because then they immediately go when they're looking for their dad. They shove these pretzels in their pockets and then they get on a boat and they sail out to sea <laughs> and they like wade through water up to their waist. What happened to point. the pretzel? I know. Oh. And then later. It's a waste of pretzel. So they find the secret cove. Uh, t- their friend Tony uh, Preto, who in the original book is he a rich kid? He, he must be. Well, yeah. they all. I mean, he has a boat. Yeah. He, they refer to it as Tony's boat. I think it's Tony's parents' boat. I think so too. And I think if they told him he couldn't drive it, he probably wouldn't be allowed to. In the so he's Italian, and that's not even mentioned in this, but it's mentioned uh. quite frequently in the original editions that Tony is an Italian. Well, you can kind of tell. Yeah, Tony Preto. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't stretch. <laughs> On that one. The boys have so many friends that you have to keep track of. By the end of this, they've added. That reminds me of my favorite part of the book, but we can, I kind of want to save it. Okay, we'll save it. Yeah, it's at the very end. So they find the secret, uh, the secret cove. They sneak in there. Oh, yeah, they find out that first they find out that the old house, the abandoned house that uh, it sits at the top of the cliff. Now a bunch of people live there who are clearly the smugglers. Like they show up and they find their dad's hat and it's all covered in blood. And these people are mean. They're mean to them. And they're like, well, we found it on the road. So what? Yeah. And they're like, you know, our dad's bloody hat. Still nobody they're, thinks they're he's dead. Ed- I, got, I clearly got that they were uneducated. Yes. That's made quite clear. And that's a, that's a dead giveaway for smugglers. For and, smugglers and criminals. And criminals. Yeah, are not mm-hmm. smart. Snapman, the main suspect, goes from being described as having run-ins with smugglers in the past 
to being the king of the smugglers over yeah. the course of like a book where he doesn't do anything. I don't understand how his reputation just goes up and up and up. His reputation gets quite big, and he he doesn't seem to pose much of a threat. No, uh, ever. He's a wuss. He won't let he won't let people like his smugglers murder. No, yeah, even when it would it's exactly what needs to happen. Should have killed him. They go th- um, through this series, the long series of secret passageways after secret passageways, yes. and they find Fenton being held captive, and he's being tortured, quote unquote tortured. But right. they refuse to torture him. Like, they won't even, like, punch him or rough him up. They say that they're going to starve him. Again, with the food. That's the thing. Yeah. I, they're like, we've heard you love food. <laughs> that's why I love these guys. Yeah, they're just going to keep him from eating food. And he doesn't... Can you find... I want to find that. Where like, said. it's so much more dangerous to keep a guy around, kill him. But they have that old thing about, boss, we don't, we don't do the rough stuff. But they threw a grenade at a guy. I, again, I don't think they were throwing it at him. At I think him, you they think were they were they incapacitating the boat in with the grenade? In. With a grenade, he'll be fine. I want to find the part where they where they talk about Fenton's torture. Do you mind? Oh yeah, him? yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh right, because they write that note, Hardy, or you'll be sorry. Sure as my name is Snapman. <laughs> that's perfect. That's You're so like, great. Why, why'd you just say your name, boss? Again, I think this is where Scooby-Doo got a lot of its sort of right. tropes because, you know, the bad guys seem to talk a lot like Scooby-Doo character, bad guys. Yeah, let him go hungry for a few days. That'll persuade him, put in one of the other men. This brought a hoarse laugh from his companions. <laughs> You'll be hungry enough if you don't write that letter. <clears throat> and that becomes right. the plan. They're just going to starve him. But their whole smuggling thing is like over the next couple of days, so... Unless they think they're going to starve Fenton Hardy in like 48 hours. Um, yeah, and don't they get worried that, that he's actually going to, you know, not write the letter and then they're going to... And then the cops will show up or something? Yeah, and, and he'll be, you know, are they going to... But they're, they're going to leave him, right? When they to leave, die. To die. That's but pretty they don't, they won't. Come. Well, yeah, they say when the boys get kidnapped later, they're like, well, with their dad. Because, so everybody leaves and the boys come in, they free their dad, and then the smugglers come back in. And the boys actually... It's a pretty cool fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, oh, they, yeah. they take out a bunch of smugglers yep. with no guns at, or anything, um, just with their bare fists. But they, they end up getting caught because their dad's all weak from being tied to a bed for a couple of days. And starved. Yeah, and starved. No pretzels. No pretzels. Oh, or yeah. Pie. When when he when they get him to his feet and he's starving, they're like, he's like, do you have any food? And they're like, we have pretzels. But that's what I was thinking about is that. Oh, so they stuffed soggy. their pockets with a dozen pretzels. And then they waded through ocean water, yes. climbed all these stairs, and then their dad's like, do you have any food? And they pulled out a wad <laughs> of soggy, damp pretzel goo. Pretzel goo. And we're like, here you go, Pa. It's probably and, delicious. And he ate it. And he just wolfed it down. <laughs> it's probably really Ex- good. Extra salty uh, extra from the salty. ocean water. And the water was much cleaner back then. You didn't have to worry. You could, ocean you water could just, was harbor water. You was could just scoop up some harbor water and 20. dip your pretzels in it. That was That's perfectly effective. It would have been delicious. I bet it would have been. But they get caught again, obviously. And then they say that they're going to put them on a ship and, like, ship them off to India. Oh, that's great. They're that's like, great. they're like, we'll just put them, we'll just tie them on the boat and ship them off to India. And then they're like, the captain has a habit of throwing people overboard or something. He's like, maybe the captain of the ship will kill them. And I'm yeah, like, well, that's yeah. just killing them then. That's just well, like but you don't know. washing your hands of it. No, I, that's an acceptable way to deal with someone that you don't, 
you know, you don't want to kill, I think. It seems like they're those criminals that like break into houses but don't carry guns specifically because they're like, no, I'm not going to get charged with an armed robbery. Yeah. Oh, Breaking maybe. and entering is one thing. No, but I like, don't think they're worried about the charges. No. They're very confident that they're going to they're they're get gonna away with it. just this. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's more that they just, they're a little squeamish about the killing. Letting, walking away and letting someone starve or putting him on a shipping container and letting, you know, a crazed foreigner throw him overboard. That's, you know, that's not, that's out of their hands. I think that's that's pretty good. I'm, I'm, that's how I want my criminal organization to operate for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like that that level of – and I want pie. Yeah. This is – I'm getting I'm, – yeah. You're getting you're getting distracted again. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's at least one more opportunity for everybody to eat pie before okay. the book is over. Good. <laughs> they end up up in the house hiding in an attic. Then they get held as hostages again. Like they keep yeah. escaping, getting captured, escaping, getting captured. Oh, and then they're – yeah, but this time they're in the attic. They're in the, the attic. Greatest. And then there's this massive scene shift that I actually – at first I was like, I don't think this needs to be in the book. All of a sudden it cuts to Chet and mm-hmm. Biff going to the Coast Guard and getting the police. Yep. And then like the Coast Guard – one, everyone immediately believes these kids, which would mm-hmm. never happen. They would right. maybe – it would maybe give them a ticket for – you know, breaking curfew or something. Mm-hmm. Or a blood test. Yeah, know. exactly. To see what drugs they were on. Those kids would be at the police station until like 8 o'clock in the next morning. Yeah. But instead, they're just like, okay, let's go. They use civilian boats to go catch these smugglers. Weird. Um, they get in a firefight. They invite the teenage boys along. They get in a firefight on the open water with civilians with them, basically saying, boys, duck down beside yeah, the exactly. edge of the boat. You almost expect them to give them guns, and they didn't. They don't. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have been a surprise at all if they are like, hold this gun, Biff. You know how to use a rifle, don't you? He does. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he like does some Aquaman stuff. All the drugs oh, get yeah. thrown overboard, and then Biff just dives in the water and comes up with him. After like taking the time to take off all of his clothes, I'm like, they're gone, Biff. <laughs> Biff. If they're so it, gone. Maybe it wasn't that deep. Maybe it must it must not have been. Um, yeah, those cops were a little bit keystone, weren't they? They were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they had no regard for those boys' safety. And then immediately they're like, okay, there's the, there's the cove, uh, you know, the secret cove where the criminals are. And rather than being like, all right, let's go back and get backpack, they're like, all right, boy, do you think you can get your boat back there? And he's like, I can try. <laughs> yeah. And they, so they sail him back there. But they corner Snapman, and Snapman has a... One, uh, a wonderful, like, This speech. is it. This is my This favorite. is your favorite moment? Yes. Would you like to read it? I'd love to. I mean, you can read it, too. And we can, you can, and then you can... Well, first he just starts giving up all the evidence. The eyepieces to the telescope, the motorcycle tools. <laughs> yeah, he tells them. He's like, well, they're not going to do me much good. They're all in the drawer in the hallway. I mean, like, why'd you keep them, weirdo? You were on a cliff. You could have thrown all of that stuff off the cliff. So weird that he kept them. Okay, but then, here it is. Mr. Hardy, I envy you. And I... I never thought I'd be making this kind of confession. You know almost everything about what I've been doing. I'll tell the whole story later. Since they're going to find the Coast Guard officer heirs on Foster's ship, there's no use in holding anything out any longer. I said I envy you, Mr. Hardy, because you brought up two such fine boys, and they got swell friends. Me, I wasn't so lucky. My father died when I was little. I was pretty headstrong, and my mother couldn't manage me. I began to make the wrong kinds of friends, and after that, you know how it is. Yeah. And then he says he's going to turn the old house into like a boy's home, which is one of the things where the cops Sweet. are like, sure you are, Felix. That'll look, yeah, tell it to the judge, buddy. Yeah, no, so that's just the beginning. Right. He has a complete reversal. Reversal of, of identity, oh, really. it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. I was blown away by how quickly, yeah, he gave up. And then when he, when he makes that re- revelation that he's like, oh, you'll, I'll tell you where we're keeping the Coast Guard guy. I had completely forgotten about the guy who was almost blown up in the, oh. by the grenade. 
who they, they took to the farm. from the farmer's house. I completely forgot. Because once their dad got kidnapped, I forgot about the other guy that got kidnapped. Yeah. I assumed he was dead. Of course he's not dead. They weren't willing to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's the end of it. The boys don't get a reward or anything. But um, Well, the reward is in this turn of... Oh, yeah. I guess Snapman's... Snapman's reversal of, of morality. It's just so great. And then at the very end, there's one person who they give credit for the whole thing. And that's Pretzel Pete. Oh, yeah. They're like, we owe it all to Pretzel Pete. And he's like, that's right. No. He was in one scene. He gave them one clue that they could have gotten from other people. (laughs) Yeah, here's how he does it. Suddenly Joe remarked, compliments are flying around here pretty thick, but there's one person we forgot to mention. Without him, Frank and I might never have found Dad. Who's that? Biff asked. Pretzel Pete, Joe replied. So good. End of book. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and it's you know, and you think, okay, well, you know, Pretzel Pete seems pretty down on his luck. Should maybe we give him some sort of reward? No, he does, yeah, they, no, they never give anyone else a reward. I, They're I, always the people who keep the reward. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's the mystery of the house on the cliff. Not a mystery. It wasn't a mystery. It was, it was we, they, the first person that they guessed was the bad guy. Was the bad guy? Well, he was. Turned out there were more bad guys, but. The only mystery was when he did the spooky ghost voice. That's later explained by a henchman being like, back when I was playing Ghost. Oh, it was just a henchman. Yeah, Yeah, it was just a henchman. It's the henchman Red, who the whole time I'm like, he's the guy who's always like, hey, boss, shouldn't we do something about these kids? He's that henchman who is very necessary. And Satman must have been there because someone told that henchman which pieces of the telescope. That henchman doesn't know about telescopes. He's not going to be... He's like, I'm going to take this eyepiece. I'm going no. to take this slide piece. He would have pushed him off the cliff, yeah. like you said. So Satman must have been there and said, no, don't push him off the cliff. Just go take – no, see that? No, not that piece. The, yeah, this piece. So there's multiple. And then what? Throw these off the cliff? No, no, no. no. We'll, we'll keep them, them in, in a, a drawer, drawer in the hall <laughs> for later. <laughs> that's, that's a, <laughs> that, he would have quit right then. He would have been like, right. this is a bullshit operation. No, no, no. Disable the motorcycles. <laughs> we don't want the boys stranded out here. <laughs> so you can see the seeds of his – this change of heart pretty early. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the, that's the that's mystery it. of the house that's, on the cliff. Great. Then what do we talk about? Pie? Yeah, I guess we just talk about more pie. We open up our picnic great. basket. Surprise, Adrian. I brought oh, picnic for everyone. That would make this worth it. Yeah. Not that it's not. Each episode, we have one of our favorite bartenders mix us up a signature cocktail to sip while we read. The drink recipe and pictures are available at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. Check them out and enjoy today's signature cocktail. All right, well, we are here in Retrograde with Ben Carrington. Retrograde is a speakeasy inside an ice cream shop. Hidden bar. Hidden bar. You want to take that again? I'll do that again. That's, no, 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 I want to do that again. I want to be accurate. No, say it like that so people get the difference. It's a hidden bar. I want to be very clear about that. There is nothing illegal or illicit going on in here. Just... Usually, just fabulous drinks and great sci-fi on the, on the projector. So, Ben, tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your bar. So, I am the bar manager, beverage director, and head bartender of uh, Retrograde here. And we've been open for about a year. Owners Josh and Jerry own both the ice cream shop that hides our bar and the bar behind it. It was an idea that they had a few years back when they first met. They talked about wanting to do an ice cream shop. They found this awesome space in Uptown. And when they got here, they were like, this is way too big for an ice cream shop. Our capacity 
actually can produce enough ice cream for about three to four shops of this size, the production and the freezer space that we have here. So we're a really big production facility. Um, they also went all out and happened to also be a dairy pasteurizer. So probably one of the only places in Colorado that is both has a liquor license and is a dairy pasteurizer, uh, which is kind of cool. So we can make, we can take in raw milk and all those things like that and really play with bases of the ice cream up front. And that also leads for me to have a lot of room to play with cocktails and things in the back, some of the things that we do there. You know, it's one of those things that uh, was kind of serendipitous that they got such a big space and they wanted to do this. And uh, I got pulled in about a year ago and, you know, we've been rolling ever since. One of my favorite things about Retrograde is your custom cocktails, your signature cocktails that have fabulous science fiction names. Where did that come from? How often do you guys change your menu? Uh, so far, we've been open for a year. We're on our third menu. We just started the process of getting um, on our fourth menu, which should hopefully come out in the next few weeks. So if you have a favorite on this menu, you've been here, you might want to get down there and get it in because it'll be gone pretty much forever. This is one of the things I thought about putting on the menu. We'll see the cocktail that you're having. So uh, we will see. Uh, I've been playing with it in a bunch of different iterations. What we do is a collective. We have about six people that work here. We all sit down one awesome Saturday morning and just make all the cocktails. And we go through it and then we vote on it. And then whichever gets the highest score is what we pass on to the customer. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me, Ben. It's been a pleasure to have you make us a cocktail. And this was fabulous to drink. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Wefso. Our music is provided by Danny Overby. Special thanks to Adrian Bishop, Ben Carrington at Retrograde, Christian Hallstrom, and Taylor Trask at their network. If you have any comments, thoughts, or drunken fan theories, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. And join us next time for The Mystery of the Old Mill.